0: This is HeduSounds.com.ng Today I'll be interviewing Dr. Hazel Chapman, the founder and director of Nigerian Mountain Forest Project, and she's an associate professor at the University of Canterbury in New Zealand. Hello Dr. Hazel. Hello, Abdul. How are you? Fine, you? Good, thank you, yes. I got into it um, really historically because I actually lived on the Mambilla Plateau for a while when I was growing up. My father was a forest botanist. He worked for the Nigerian government, so that's what took me there. Yes, that was in the 1970s, and we left in about 1972, 78. That's that's completely correct. Uh, My father had done so much work in the forests in this area uh, but he'd never written it. He'd never published it. And so I helped him. And we got money from the World Wildlife Fund and Diffid, And we published a book about the flora and fauna of of Adamawa and Taraba states. Yes, that's right. There had been very, very few botanists in the area ever before, really. But there was some visits from Q botanists. And there were some very, very good Nigerian botanists from Ibadan. But relatively speaking, very little was known about the forest in this area of the world i had um, a shoulder injury and so i couldn't do i couldn't go outside like i normally do and so i worked on the book it was as fate would have it. speak a little bit of Hausa and a little bit of Fulani, but I feel really bad. It's because I don't stay there for long periods of time. I'm not fluent in either. Yes. yes, that's exactly right. In 2002, I came out from my university after having worked on the book with my father. I was really interested to go back and see how things had changed. So a group of us, there were five of us from my university in New Zealand, uh, we went out as a team and we met up with the Nigerian Conservation Foundation, NCF, and Nigeria National Parks. And a, a, a whole team of us went on a 50 day trek around the montane forests of Taraba State. That's exactly right. It was a huge, it was a huge effort to get funding for the project. But the first sponsors was, as you say, Nexen, which was then a Canadian oil company. And they very kindly supported, they paid for the building of the first field station and they also gave us an annual, and they still do um, an annual fund to help keep the project going. Then following on from Nexen, very shortly afterwards, Chester Zoo from England came on board and they also contributed to the running costs of the project. Ah, it was actually No. Um, ah, yeah. Misa, Misa, and Augustine. They didn't. They didn't actually work with my father, but Augustine's father did work with my father. Yes. <laughs> so there was a very. Yeah, there's a very strong link. Yes absolutely um it was thanks to misa and augustine that i ever contemplated building a field station before that we were just camping but they insisted that we needed a base and really um even to even today just as much the whole project um i mean i'm the director and i'm totally involved but the you know it comes from the the local people very very much no, well, the the local people on Mambilla, um, they may not be educated in the normal sense, you know, to high levels, but they're very, very intelligent, and and they, you know, we've we've trained, we've trained people so that now the field assistants they can all use the computer, they can enter data, they know the animals and the trees, um, yes. So we've just upskilled them, and it's worked very, very well indeed. And Misa, who's he's now the project manager. Um, and Mito has been on an accounting course, and he does all the books. So we're very self-sufficient, and we're, all, we're totally run by the local community. Well, he's certainly not finished secondary school. Yeah, really, and that, that's, that's quite, it's quite typical. Um, some of the others have, um, and some, some, some now leave the project, some of the field assistants, and go to university, and it's great when we can assist in that. Oh, that's great. Uh, thank you. I'm so pleased that you're interested. Yes, because um, we, we, we need to be out there for people to know what we're doing. No, that I don't think they are. Um, n- one thing that's happened recently is that we've had funding from T.Y. Dandjuma, who is uh, a philanthropist in Nigeria. And T.Y. Dandjuma paid for us to have what is known as a Smithsonian plot in our forest. Now, this plot has been hugely important to the project because it links Ngalnyaki Forest, where we're associated with, with a network of 46 other forests worldwide. And so thanks to T.Y. Danjuma, we have been able to again train another 10 field assistants who have collected data of every tree in this 20 hectare plot. And all the data that they get, which includes the species name, the diameter at breast height of the tree, um, the age of the tree, that sort of thing, all goes into a huge data set uh, that's held in Washington, D.C. And so this has really put our forest on the map internationally. Yes, that's right. It is. It is. And why I think this is so important is because it illustrates to Taraba State how important how important these forests are internationally, because the whole idea of the forest is of the project is to combine uh, scientific research with education uh, to conserve this amazing natural environment which otherwise will be lost because all the other forests were, are really remote and there's no way that you could efficiently carry out research and you, sh- you surely couldn't have students going up and doing work but Nganyaki forest is only 40 minutes walk from a, a village on the plateau so it, it's much more easy to work there and we now even have a dry season road into the project. Yeah, yes, they did know me. And so they were really excited when I came back and uh, very enthusiastic to help and get things going again. So it worked brilliantly. That, that's exactly right. And I have to say, I'm, I'm just as at home on Mambilla as I am in New Zealand. I, I, I guess it was just those years that I spent there as a child must have had a huge influence on me because um, I'm very much at home there, yes. Yes, that's right. I have my my own plant collections. So but also I was I was actually I was born in Malawi, again, working when my father was working in the mountains in forests. And so I guess it's all very natural to me. That's right. He, he went to Mambilla in 1972 and his job with the Nigerian government was to look at the, the eucalyptus has been planted on Mambilla as almost like a crop species um, to provide firewood um, for the people and to stop landslips and that sort of thing. But dad wasn't really interested in eucalyptus plantations. He was interested in the biodiversity of in the very rare and interesting plants that forest trees that were in the native forests. And so so somehow he managed to change things so that that was his job was to go around and document the biodiversity and the botany of these montane forests. The actual reserve is 46 square kilometers on the map. So it's quite a it's a large area but um the the forest that remains in that in the reserve area is only about 5 or 6 square kilometers so if, in the 1970s it was st- it was still about the same size i think as it is today the the actual forest so but in in long ago and this is something that we don't know how long ago the forest would have been much more extensive one thing that we're doing, and we're very serious about, is forest restoration. And so we've got this forty-six square kilometers that should be forest, and which most of it isn't forest at the moment. And so what we're doing, we've got a huge tree planting program going. And what we're so we're we're taking seeds from the forest trees, we're growing them up in a nursery, and then we're replanting them back into the reserve. And at the same time, we're doing a lot of science so that we can work out the most efficient way to restore this forest. We have five PhD students at the moment, all doing all doing different projects, but all the projects are aimed at understanding how the forest works and also looking at forest restoration. I had an equal number of New Zealand students and Nigerian students, but sadly, um, recently, with the map of Nigeria not being considered to be very safe, uh, my university won't let me send out New Zealand nationals so that all my students at the moment are Nigerian nationals. But the, the wonderful thing is that my university lets them go. <laughs> so they are enrolled at the University of Canterbury in New Zealand and they do their they write up their projects and they come here before they start and then they go to Mambilla to Nigeria, to do their fieldwork. So it it works very well. We have very close links uh, with Taraba State University, uh, also with Gombe State University and the Federal University of Kashiri. And uh, even staff and students from the, the University of Lagos, from Unilag, come all the way from Lagos uh, to spend time with the project. We've had visitors from the University of Ibadan. so we're we're well embedded. My vision is, or my goal is, that eventually, because I can't carry on forever, and that this will be, become more and more. Or a Nigerian thing, but it worked, But it also works really well having the international, you know, the exchange too. I think that's important. Absolutely, we've had a lot of top scientists, top forest ecologists who have come out um, to Mambilla and worked at Ngonyaki Forest Reserve with the project. And many of those people are, have been or still are supervisors or associate supervisors of the PhD students. Because these mountains um, on the Nigerian-Cameroon border, uh, they're, they're very special. They're part of what's known as the Cameroon Highland Chain. Um, they are a chain of volcanic mountains, and on these mountains there are plants and animals that are not found anywhere else, but on these in this mountain chain. And so the birds, in particular, are only found there or in very few other places. In sometimes only in these mountains, and the Cameroon, um, Nigerian chimpanzee, again, it is actually found in lowlands, but only in this part of the world. Yes, there's about, well, I think, hopefully about 16 adult chimps, but that's just in Ngelnyaki forest. Um, There are several thousand elsewhere, but they're very threatened and and they're hunted still um, very much. So that's another thing we're trying to do, because having the field station at the edge of Ngalnyaki forest is really helping to cut down the hunt, hunting. Because hunters know that we're there and we have patrollers as well. And so it, it means that Ngalnyaki forest, even though it's just small, is becoming a safe haven for some of these rare animals and, and um, birds. This is across the whole of, of West Africa. There's increasing human population pressure. And on Mambilla, um, one of the biggest pressures are the Fulani and the, the cattle. There's a real increase um, in in cattle on the plateau. And of course, with climate change as well, uh, there's less food for them. The the grass isn't growing as much as it used to do. And so with more cattle, less grass, um, there's much pressure on the reserve because cows would very happily go into the reserve, and they do, and they'd very happily even go into the forest and graze. And of course, what happens is that the the cattle herders then set fire uh, to the forest to try and create more grass growth. And so that is the biggest stress that we have on the forest itself. And then apart from that, there's more people around. And, and and of course, with more people, then you're going to get more hunting. Well, that is what, unfortunately, that was really starting up. And then it just, it wasn't with my university. It was with a, a close by university in New Zealand. And for, for several unforeseen circumstances, it hasn't really moved. But that is an area that absolutely needs to be investigated. And that is what is needed right across um, this area of West Africa. we need food for the cattle Um, but we can't have cattle just moving anywhere they want to go because then of course it negatively affects the farmers and it negatively affects uh, any conservation or forests forests so somehow this is one of the biggest issues faced in West Africa just now is this interface between uh, the the farmers uh, the cattle herders and conservation I firmly believe that Absolutely. I totally agree. And I completely get that. I mean, it's true. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to create a win-win situation because without the forest, people will suffer. There's no doubt. Forests are very important, not just for the, not for the animals, you could argue, but because for climate change. Like if we lose the forest, we'll lose the rivers, we'll lose water, the place will dry up. So we need the forests, but people need food. So what we are trying to do is we've now got um, this is our first really strong initiative. It's called Beyond Bees. And what we are doing is we're really trying to get a well-established honey and bee production business going based on Mgolnaki Forest. And the model is that we will buy honey from the local people and we will again employ local people, particularly women, um, to manufacture, to uh, deal with the the honey, um, to bottle it. And we now have links with ShopRite in Lagos and throughout Nigeria. And if we can get this honey well bottled, um, meeting food standards, then ShopRite will sell our honey for us. And so what I'm hoping is that with this model, it will be win-win, that the local people on Mambilla will really, this will contribute to their economy and livelihood. And at the same time, they will see the value of the forest and they won't want the forest to be destroyed because their honey is coming from the bees that live in the forest. So in the, in the last couple of years... The, the project has moved um, to kind of really embrace this problem, um, th- which is a huge issue that people need food um, and they, they don't value the forest and why should they unless they see that the forest is directly helping them and it's not at all how I expected to go because um, I was just a researcher but I've realised now that um, there's, there's much more and I think particularly living in the world that we are living in now there's much more than just science we absolutely need science science to underpin what we do but more than that we have to include everyone and we have to make the planet a better place for people to live in and that means uh, that means embracing conservation but also using like ecosystem services and using what nature provide to help people and um, apart from the bees like at Ngoniaki we've got um, two projects that are directly related to that uh, one is a student uh, she's a uh, New Zealand she's funded by New Zealand Development um, Fund and she is looking at the that the role that birds play in farmland and how birds can help subsistence farmers by uh, acting as um, insecticides because they take insects off crops and by doing that by eating the insect they allow crops Uh, to be more productive. So that's birds and also birds pollinate crops as well. And so we're trying to demonstrate that so that we can show the importance of these birds to local farmers. And another project which we're hoping is going to be funded and we've just written the proposal is along the same lines and that's illustrating the importance of bats in pest control. And in fact, bats are well known to eat more insect than even birds do. And in the United States, we know that bats save the United States billions of dollars annually by eating pests. And so if we can show that these bats who live in the forest fragments really help subsistence farmers, then that's another reason that the farmers need to know that we need to conserve our forests to help their farms. Success does bring other challenges, but so far we're we're coping. The biggest challenge that we're facing at the moment is because we've got bigger, is that we need more money to keep everyone employed and to keep the whole project running. And that that is an issue um, which we're, we're dealing with at the moment. And that's what I'm hoping that the honey production is going to help as well so that the project can become Fully sustainable, and that was through a friend of mine who, at the time, worked for Exxon Mobil in Lagos, and um, he really worked for us um, to to get funding from that, that oil company. And from that, we built a nursery school. So, and that nursery school has been a huge success. And um, we have other students; they're not just PhD students uh, at the field station. We have IT, it's known as industrial training students from Nigerian universities, and we always, we usually have about six or eight of them at any one time so they come up for six months and they work with us they work alongside the PhD students alongside the field assistants and they also carry out their own research project and those IT students are great and they often interact with the nursery school students they go and teach at the weekends and that sort of thing so it really is a learning hub and we we have what's known as the our conservation club and we welcome and we run trips on a regular basis for school children so that from all the local school, all the local schools have done school visits. So most of the children in the area know what's going on at Nganiyaki and and they've helped with tree planting and that sort of thing. So we get them as engaged as possible. The idea being that like if the children understand the value of the forest, then they will talk to their parents as well. And so hopefully it has a kind of domino effect. Without the children coming on board, there's no future for the forest. And that's part of being a scientist these days is that you should be able to communicate with a general audience. One of my students, Biplang, um, he's working on the African giant pouched rat and which actually disperses seeds of some big forest trees. Now, he got some funding from the Rufford Foundation, which is a conservation foundation. And as part of that, Biplang has been out to local schools and I've seen the poster that he produces and it has a big picture of the rat and it has the local... Fulani name for the rat on it. But I agree with you, and that is something that I will bring up and that we will think more about in producing literature that is much more accessible to everybody. Yeah, there's no point in writing it if people aren't going to read it, and um, particularly it's for Nigerians mainly. Um, And so, yes, it has to be free. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, as available as possible. And if anyone, if this is of any interest to anyone, I've still got several hard copies um, that I'm very happy to send out if anyone would. Want, wanted them. They could contact me at my university. I mean, as I've said before, really, the, the the success of the project comes from. Well, I guess it's an interaction, but it's the community. It's MISA um, and all the field assistants. It's the local Mambilla people who want this project and um, them interacting with me. And it's just and it's just worked. But without that support and that dedication uh, from the local people, it wouldn't work. It couldn't work. But I know, I know that. Oh, and the other thing is that I've I've had real help from academics who have been PhD students at Canterbury, but who come from Gombe State University and now Taraba State University. Um, and these guys have really acted as my deputies and because they're in Gombe and Taraba and and Jalingo and so that Misa can phone them can talk to them if he's got problems so that that's how it's developed as well so that so that these young academics early career academics have come to Canterbury Done their research at Ngelnyaki, gone back to Nigeria as academics in their own right, and and now they take responsibility for the running of this project as well. I think a lot of things happened, didn't they, with the on with the oil. Once Nigeria had oil, a lot of other things were forgotten, and that's what's that's what's happened here anyway. Like there was no patrolling. I'm not quite sure what happened, but it just seemed like the reserve was left. And one idea that we have at Ngelnyaki is rather than have initially, rather than having um, a hotel there because remember it's far away from everywhere so there's never going to be a whole lot of tourists until we get really good infrastructure and the infrastructure is still not good Um, but what we're looking into are tents um, and it's called I think it's called is it clamping or something and so it's not camping but you have these well it is camping but they're these really nice tents Um, You can look it up on the website and they're used all across the world now. And we haven't done this yet, but we are actually actively discussing it. And that would be much cheaper so that people could come up. They could have um, a comfortable experience, but they wouldn't have to pay so much for it. And I know that the state government is very keen, um, you know, to bring more tourists to Taraba. But I agree. This perception of security um, is is a difficult one, and and until things are perceived to be um, more secure, I think it's going to put off a lot of tourists, both Nigerian tourists and international tourists. But there are always some tourists who are adventurous, and um and will be willing to willing to come, at, you know. And so. Yeah, this security issue is an issue, and it's very, very unfortunate. And I'm just hoping that it's going to get better. There used to be forest um, for miles around, like savanna forest, and in the last 18 months, it's all been completely cleared, um, and it, and it's been these trees are being cut down to sell to China. It's it's a tragedy. This is an Edison's production. You can listen to our podcasts on educational issues that relate to Nigeria on edison's.com.ng or on Mixcloud by searching for Edison's NG or follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Edison's NG. Thank you.